Welcome to the Bright Vibe Podcast. At Bright Vibe, we believe everyone deserves to be happy. But in today's world, everywhere you turn, there is division and negativity. At Bright Vibe, we have created a global movement to bring 8 million people together who are inspired to live bright, live bold, and share bright vibes. Alone, it can be hard to change, but together we can change the world. Welcome to the Bright Vibe Podcast. All right, David Wolf, welcome to the program today. So happy to have you on. Yes, so so good to be here. Thank you so much. Yes, I was excited. I've been reading some of your stuff, uh, watching some stuff online. So you're a registered dietitian, but you're much more than that. That's just kind of where you started. That's your base, I guess, if you want to call it your pedigree, is that you're a registered dietitian. But you've re- yeah, yes, you've yeah. Re- you've really expanded that really into more like food addictions, sugar addictions, like addictions. And I think to some degree, we're probably all food addicted or sugar addicted, and and may not necessarily. Um, claim that or even understand that we are is that is that would that be accurate to say I would say yeah most people are somewhere on the spectrum it's on really spectrum. interesting when you when you look at the um, when you look at like the clinical diagnostic criteria for substance abuse disorder uh-huh. and you start you through the lens of food yeah um, most most people would meet criteria, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we all have crutches, right, that we use that are dietary crutches, whether it's caffeine or sugar or eating habits or patterns that even if we're not overweight, even if we're, we would consider ourselves healthy, we're still probably doing things that are, I mean, why, and instead of me saying it, why, why do people, what typically is driving addiction when we're talking about food and sugar? What's driving it? Yeah, um... Well, you I mean you have the food environment, right? The mm-hmm. food industry and all that, but mm-hmm. then you have the biology. Mm-hmm. So I think primarily um, we're driven. It was really interesting. I heard Jordan Peterson talking about how the dopamine system, which is sort of our reward oriented mm-hmm. system in our brain, is old, but the system that's older is our serotonin system, which is our community based system. And if you think about food, mm-hmm. Food's like a reward, but it's also like this like community, foundational, familial, traditional right. yep. thing. And so I think it's just so primary to who we are as people, our preferences, our emotions, our family, our cultures, our customs. So I think that that really drives a lot of the behavior. But then, I mean, really the reward and the salience of mm-hmm. what happens when we eat it right. um, that I think gets us keeps us going for more and more and more mm-hmm. um, until eventually we become addicted and we just can't stop no matter how hard we want to. And, and so, yeah. And, and so not to confuse, like, um, well, I won't even say confuse, but so basically today on the, on the podcast, we're going to be talking about food addiction, sugar addiction, but not from like, but, but probably I would like to at least dive into the subject of, of that. It's probably not something that most of us identify that we are. Right. So if this isn't like those people over there, it's not like those people are food addicted. Those people are sugar addicted. Those people are addicted to caffeine. We're all addicted to some. I mean, I remember watching a documentary about a guy who had like, like was 600 or 700 pounds. And then he lost like four or 500 pounds. He was down to 200 pounds. And then of course, you know, he kept it off for a year and then boom, he ate a bunch of hot dogs and stuff and he ballooned back up. Right. And, and the basic, I think it was either he, he or like a psychologist was saying, well, just imagine if, you know, if you were addicted to alcohol, but you actually had to drink it to live. Right. I mean, how hard would that be to, to, and and so there's this, you know, huge thing of, I think we we all use food for emotional management, right? To some degree or another. Most sure, people, sure. most people. I yeah, know yeah, I I know sure. I do. I mean, it's just what food am I choosing to put in my body that is 
like the warm lovey makes me feel good. And I've kind of morphed that from like just, you know, a gallon of ice cream at night, maybe to some frozen blueberries. Right. So it's not like I quit the pattern. I just upgraded the intake of what I was doing. Um, but typically who are you working with or who do you, who do you work with and, and kind of what, how are you addressing those things? I think people, people find us, you Mm -hmm. know, because I think that there's not a lot of people that are willing to address us as straight on as we are willing to address it. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we work with, I mean, we work with addicts. I mean, we work with people who have tried everything else. And these are typically Um, people that are overweight or just, or is there a Sometimes, I mean, um, I was definitely a thin food addict. I think it's not uncommon. I think we're harder to treat, right? Mm Because there's a lot less consequences or there are a lot less overt consequences. Mm -hmm. I think um, if you look uh, obesity is one of the consequences of food addiction. Yeah. I mean, there are other consequences. I mean, there's plenty of thin diabetics out there and things right. like that, but, but even, um, emotional and spiritual consequences, mm-hmm. um, you know, feeling broken, um, is a consequence, you know, metabolic consequences, blood sugar management, things like that. So anyone that identifies, I think with food as a drug mm-hmm. and as a way out from the, you know, it's funny. Eric Clapton um, defines a drug. He was interviewed for 60 Minutes. He um, he defines a drug as anything that would change the way you think or feel, mm-hmm. which is <laughs> which is powerful, right? Pretty much yeah, everything. You, that's a laundry list. <laughs> right, yeah. right. So, so I think for people that identify that food changes the way that they think or feel, and they use it specifically to change the way they feel, that's mm-hmm. those are the people that we, um, you know, we end up really helping. Mm-hmm. And typically then they're changing the way they feel because they don't, I'm assuming don't like the way that they feel. Um, that's why they're trying to change the way they feel. Is that? Well, I think it's funny. <clears throat> There's like this biopsychosocial spiritual model for addiction. Okay. And I think that we need to look at all four. So biologically we have a different brain. We call it a magical brain, put a positive spin on it. I think we were likely the we being addicts, Mm -hmm. we were likely the people that survived evolution because Mm -hmm. we were just like ready to get up and go and get stuff done. Like we're at antelope Ralph, let's go. So we're just like, we're just kind of those jump into things kind of people. So Mm -hmm. that's biologically driven by our brain, by our reward system. Um, You know, I think socially um, we end up interacting with other addicts, whether we mean to or not, you know, definitely, um, we, yeah. And so, and then it affects socially, if socially our relationships are very driven, um, in part by, by the disease of addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, so whether it's how we manipulate other people to get what we want or how do we, why do, maybe we keep people that have our view of normal in our circle so that we continue to use right. psychologically, the brain, the thinking, um, I think is, is huge and spiritually, um, not just so much about like higher power God, but more like how do we interact with the universe? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kind of like what you talk about, like how do you vibe? You right. Know? So I think, I think it, addiction ends up, you know, it lowers our vibration. So Yo, totally, I think we need to handle all that stuff. Yeah. So looking at it through that way, instead of just like, I have a problem with food. Well, you have a problem with food because you have a problem and food is your solution. Right. Like with any addiction, right? So whether it's drugs, alcohol, sex, uh, social media, whatever, what, whatever you're using sure. to distract yourself, you're distracting yourself obviously from something. And what is that something? And until you address that, then there's not really 
I, I mean, I think you, uh, you know, you can code it, you can soothe it, you can give it a pill, but ultimately it's not going away until you actually do something with that underlying hurt or that underlying emotion, negative emotion. Right. And then we're also probably born with the genetic material for Mm -hmm. this thing, you know? And so, um, nature, nurture, who knows? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, was listening to Dr. Paul early, who's, uh, he was a past president of the American society of uh, addiction medicine, Uh ASAM. Mm -hmm. And he was saying that pretty much it's 50% genetics, Mm -hmm. you know, which is, which is a hard pill to swallow. Yeah. We had, um, uh, and I really love his work, Mark Woolen on the show, early on in the show, gosh, probably okay. a year and a half or two ago. And he talks about um, inherited trauma. And in the title of his book is It Didn't Start mm. With You. And it's all about inherited family trauma and how it actually, and I've had a couple other guests that come on the show, said the same thing. It actually affects your DNA. So it tags, it right. creates tags on your DNA strain. And so you do right. actually, you are born with a propensity for certain things based on the genetics you know, what, what your grandparents did and what their grandparents did and how your family, what's your family history and how it, those emotional things, if they're not resolved. In fact, when I was talking to uh, Dr. Woolen, um, I think he's a doctor. Um, but you know, he talked, basically my aha moment was when he was talking about kids. Cause he was like, you know, if, if I've inherited it, guess what? Then so I'm, if I don't deal with my DNA, if I don't, if I don't address my own issues, whether they were mine or the 50% that were inherited, guess who gets to experience them and guess who else gets to deal with them, right? My kids. And so for me, it became this, it it became this real aha moment of it's got, this shit's got to stop with me, right? I can't, if I'm going to be a good parent, if I'm going to be a good citizen, if I'm going to be a good, you know, member of my community, then I can't just eat my way or drink my way or right to numbness. Cause if I don't deal with it, then nobody wants to see their kids suffer. Right. That's, that's, you know I mean? That's not a good right. thing. I mean, I have a, I have a three-year-old. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. She, um, we were at a petting zoo like two months ago mm-hmm. and she went to go pet a sheep mm-hmm. and right was she putting her hand on the sheep's head, a macaw goes, you know, like really <laughs> right. loud. And so she's, she's scared of animals right now. I mean, right, you right, know? Yeah. and we were at a barbecue yesterday it was, you know, and the and holiday, yeah. this little cute little corgi just runs up to her and is barking at her and howling. Oh, and no. she's like not having it. So, you know, and as a parent, I have no control over her reaction <laughs> to that. Like right. whether that takes her years to process through or, you know, whether she loves dogs in the next six months, you just don't know. Right. So, and, and I think the other interesting thing about addiction is I think a lot of people view addiction as stemming from trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, I think trauma makes it easier for a person to become addicted, mm-hmm. but I don't think it causes addiction. I think addiction is primary. So I think there's a lot of lens points um, mm-hmm. and a lot of people who have done a lot of interesting work and you have Gabe, Gabe Mate out in Vancouver who does a lot on the addiction and trauma and things like that. I just don't think, I think do a lot of addicts have trauma in their life? hundred percent. Absolutely. It does mm-hmm. increase propensity or the speed at which fulminant addiction presents itself in someone's life. Yes. Mm-hmm. I just don't think it causes addiction. I, I mean, I, can look back over my life and I can't isolate any pinpoints for trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know a lot of people that would say the same thing that nothing traumatic happened to them. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that they can recall anyway. Right. So, I mean, but we all experience, I mean, look at birth. I mean, birth is pretty traumatic. So, <laughs> yes. yes. You know, I, I don't think it's something that we can escape. I mean, in this world. Right, right. Exactly. So typically who are the, who are the people that you, the, the clinic that you work or not the clinic, but the, the group that you work with, um, typically who is somebody that's coming into that group? I mean, kind of what's the, what, what are they noticing or what are they trying to solve for or what's their kind of MO? I think they're, they're sick and tired of failing over and over again based on paradigms that say that if you don't do follow this right, there's something wrong with you. Mm -hmm. Like, which is basically what the diet industry is. Like I was looking at some data as we were creating, um, we were creating an event and, um, it was say there's a, in the diet industry, there's 95% failure rate. Right. Um, in what industry can you get away with those sorts of results and still be a multi-billion dollar industry? Like Mm -hmm. it's ridiculous. Like, would you go to a dentist that cleaned um, like one out of 20 of your teeth? <laughs> right. No. Right. So it's like, it's a problem. So I think a lot of it's people are sick and tired of trying everything and constantly failing because they're treating the wrong thing. And, and, and they're and, treating. Well, go ahead. And they're treating what? They're, they're treating a willpower problem, but addiction isn't a willpower problem. Um, it's biochemical warfare. Mm-hmm. You know, it's dopamine. It's you know, it's serotonin. It's, it's all those things that make up, make us human. Mm-hmm. And then, and then the other problem, right. Is that all these, the, we need dopamine. Like it, dopamine is like, it gets us to get stuff done. It's like, mm-hmm. why do you pick up a book? Cause you're excited to pick it up. It's like this novel, it's new. It's, you know, it gets us going. But um, when it becomes hijacked, then nothing that's good for you will get you going the way that cocaine will. Right. Or sugar will. Right. So it hijacks the system. Mm-hmm. And then and then I think people are left feeling absolutely broken and miserable mm-hmm. because they've been preyed on by the disease of addiction. There's no other there's no other nothing else to blame. Right. Uh so I think that they're tired and they want something different. And I think we offer something different, you know, a new perspective. And so what's different then, I guess. So if we have a 95% failure rate with diet, and I would say probably 95% failure rate with most addictions or trying to break addiction, some it's over 50%, I think for all addictions, at least rebound, right. Um, type stuff. So what works, I guess, how, how do we get it to, um, how, how do we get success? It gets, I think it gets down to the, the neuroscience and the retraining of the brain Mm -hmm. and giving people systems. I think it's all about systems. People need to know how do I get from A to B? And then what exactly does that look like? What exactly do I need to do to be able to reach that? As opposed to like painting a lofty picture Mm -hmm. and giving people dreams and fantasies and all these things. Like, no, we had this thing called care. Mm-hmm. It stands for a connection, action steps, recovery, protection, and education. Okay. So we, we know that addicts do well with other addicts. Like mm-hmm. if you take, even, even when they're struggling, right. like even when the addicts around you are struggling, there's that common bond that's right. formed by connecting. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things like addiction is isolating and alienating. Right. right? So like alone in a crowded room, right. like that, those kinds of feelings, like, in the corner at a high school dance, like you've got no one to talk to, like that's what the disease of addiction does. Um, and so connecting is the opposite of that. Um, action step 
it's because people really need to know what to do. It's, it's, it's nice to tell them like you're reaching for this, but how do you get there? What are actual things that you can do? And then recovery protection, which is our take on relapse prevention. I feel like relapse prevention sounds like, well, something's going to go wrong and it's just going to kill you. And it's just like, it's just has like this sort of negative, but what if there's actually something you could do like every day that would help ensure that you stay in your recovery? That's what it's about. It's not about, oh God, this big thing's coming up. What are we going to do about it? It's how am I going to recover in the 24 hours that I'm in right now today? Um, And then education knowledge. I think people have been totally misled and confused about food. Like, um, my mother-in-law's diabetic nurse. Mm-hmm. Um, like she's a nurse who's diabetic. Right. Um, the questions she asked me about food are just befuddling mm-hmm. and it's not her fault. Right. I mean, doctors are given, um, right. three hours of terrible nutritional education, like during their whole right. med school, yep. you know, yep. training. Um, and what are the diseases that they're treating in primary care? They're all diseases of food. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> they're all blood pressure, diabetes, even you could even lump cancer in there, you know, I mean, and so they don't know. Right. They don't know. So they give people the same advice over and over again, and which is, well, eat less, move more. Right. Yes. And I've got a question around the recovery protection. What does that look like exactly? So, so I understand connecting, right? Uh, connecting is probably being part of a group. Sure. You know, I've been part of different groups. It's very know, healthy, typically, I mean, I've, I've part of been part of a kind of a business slash a life group for a decade or more. And I'm with wow. the same people. I see the same people once a month and we share our, about business. We share about life, you know, and so we can get extremely personal because it's highly confidential. And, and that's been a very right uh, good thing uh, for me to, uh, throughout my life because at least it gives me a connection point whenever I'm in that group there's this sense of acceptance um, action steps I can kind of relate to and say okay that's probably coming out of that's something uh, that you guys help line out and say okay here's the things you need to do to your point to get from these are tactical things you have to do with addiction right exactly um, but I don't I, I don't yes. know that I understand what recovery protection is so so I can so recovery protection is essentially like I could ask you this question like, I know my recovery is in trouble when dot, dot, dot. Okay. So then you would, you, you would be personal to you. You're yeah. not going to have my cues. I'm it could be a family. I know I'm going to have a family reunion it, or I know I'm going to. Right. It I, could I, be a family I, I know reunion. I have to have it a talk like, with my boss. I know that I've got to have exactly. a. Exactly. So it's something that I'm. Mind, right. Uh, it's something that I'm worried about in the future. Is that. Yeah, or or something that's happened in the past that you know could trip you up again. Got it. Sure. Right. Yep. Yeah. So it could be it could be a smell. It could oh, be a person. It could be a place. Okay. It could be a taste. It could be a sound. But it's something that triggers you know, the like, addiction. Yeah. Like for instance, like I'm I'm actually believe it or not an artist, a trained artist and bread baker. I haven't baked in over five years. But <laughs> so my wife's in the kitchen like eating a toasted bagel. You know, right, like right. I'm like oh I'm I'm in it. Like I'm there. <laughs> So right. like that's a cue for me. Right. I never would have thought of that uh-huh. until I'm in it. Right. But so I learned from it. Right? right. So cues, and then we have a custom. Mm-hmm. So you have a cue. Maybe your cue is um, that you you're really worried about this meeting with your your upcoming meeting with your boss. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it's a review. And so your custom is that you use um, 
you use something to change the way you think or feel. Maybe it's, you know, you go get a six munchkins and a caffeinated coffee with cream and sugar, Mm -hmm. you know, that's your custom. And then you have a consequence. What is your consequence based on the custom? Mm -hmm. And then, so usually, you know, it's, it would be negative consequence most likely, you know, and then, but so you, and then you take the cue and what if you change your custom? And so you're changing your, yeah. But uh, so then you change your consequence. And so give me, give me a real world example of that so that I can quantify that, I guess. What is, so what's an actual thing and, and then how, how would I, how would, how did you, how did you remap that or re language that or restory that? Yeah. For okay. somebody. So I hear my wife okay. chomping on something. Right. I go in there and I eat it. Um, my, my cost, my consequence is my stomach hurts. I'm Got foggy. It. Yep. I feel bad about myself. I have guilt mm-hmm. and shame. I have regret. I don't want to tell anybody about it in my mm-hmm. community mm-hmm. because I know I, I am misstepped. You know? Right. And then a new custom would be, I get the sound, I get the thought, I phone someone who I know understands recovery. Right. And then I feel connection. I Got don't it. feel alone. I Got don't it. feel worried. That's like a really simple example. And that's the, and that's the protect, protection piece is right. that and I then, have a, I'm, I'm prescribing, I'm finding out things that I can prescribe myself or whatever that, that will take me out of my normal pattern. Is that? Yeah. So we have the three C's, which is the cue, the custom, the consequence. And then we have the three P's, which is the plan, prepare and protect. Got it. So I think what you do is you use the three P's really um, in, inside that custom Got it. So that you're securing, you're almost ensuring yourself that you can, it's not, I mean, it's not perfect, no, but you can yeah. nearly ensure that if you follow through with the plan that was written for you mm-hmm. and, and you protect based on you, mm-hmm. that you get the consequence that you're after, mm. which is usually the opposite of the consequence of using. Right. Okay. And I'll just leave that there. <laughs> I think I understand what you're, I, I, I think I, I'm starting to I think understand the main it. thing is the spin on it, that people are putting in the work and they're getting the results, uh-huh. not for something that's in the future that they're like, oh, my retu- my recovery is going to terminate in six months or nine months or right, right. five years. Okay. It's that the, when you put in reps, like just going to the gym and, you know, mm-hmm it becomes easier for you to lift that bar off the bench. Right. Because you've done it before. So that when your pants are on fire. Right. Or when, or when the alarms are going off in your head, you've put in the reps. Right. By protecting your recovery all this time that you know what to do. And you know the re- and outcome. you're able to actually do it. So you have the, in the clinical world, we call it self-efficacy, which is the belief that you'd be able to actually do something. Right. Um, wait, so in the beginning of your recovery, you're not going to have that level of confidence. Right. So you might need to put in more reps. But as you progress through, I mean, a threat isn't isn't as threatening, right? Um, because you've you've put in the practice, you've put in, and, and I think that's what the protection piece is. It's instead of just being like, "Oh God, here's the steps I'll take if I relapse," or "Oh my God, I'm going to relapse if this ever happens to me," right? Um, and no, it's not necessarily true. Um, you may not have to use when your mom dies. Right. You know, you might have an ulterior way, and we can do that by protecting your recovery by putting up in our forefront, making it super important. So it's valuable to keep it going um, as opposed to using fear of relapse um, as a way of trying to keep someone clean. And then just like, it's like the carrot and the stick. Right. Yes. Yeah. And, and are you using, so, you know, like NLP or something, are you using something to program that the, and making that, 
the the consequence because like when you talked about your stomach hurting and some stuff like that 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 doesn't sound that painful to me even though i i can you know i can relate um right but how do you tie in that that you know because to change a pattern you've got to have some strong yin yin and yang right you got to have some carrot and stick i've got to have something that i'm sure 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 see see that's truly negative but i also have to be able to anchor in something that the benefit of the good behavior too right so is there a a system you guys are using right. so for that? like for instance we use um we use something called memory of the pain which is sort of negative consequence mm-hmm. driven mm-hmm. so that's um we use memory of the pain and we pin that against fantasy of moderation so the addict's fantasy is that they can moderate so okay. they can just have a couple and be okay and that, right i can right. just have a shot on the weekends right right, <laughs> right. no right no <laughs> and the memory of the pain is what fights against that Right. Mm-hmm. So memory of the pain is it's visceral mm-hmm. and sometimes you use potential future pain mm-hmm. um, or one of the things that's really helpful is, you, you know, you talked about community a bit like collateral damage. Mm-hmm. Like how does this affect the other people in my life? Like right. what's going to happen when my, when my kids have to inject my insulin in me or when I can't wipe myself or when I can't tie my shoes or right. um, when I have to get air vacked off a cruise ship or, right. um, whatever it is. So future pain can be used if it's not sufficient. So like I'm what you call a very high bottom. What that means is that like I came into recovery and my life really wasn't that bad. I mean, it it wasn't really going that well, Mm -hmm. um, but it was very high bottom. So, and then there are people that are very, very low bottom, which means (laughs) that they've got through a lot more consequences than I have. Mm -hmm. So I think they're, both reasonable it's just it's kind of like uh well are you willing to stop digging like are you done right and it doesn't really matter how far you've gone to be done if you're done um but i think that and i i see your point about kind of this like healthy fear and i think i think that healthy fear is okay um i just don't i don't see people flocking towards like fear um at least in today's um sort of I don't know, paradigm for lack of a better word. Mm -hmm. I don't think they find it as beneficial as they did, you know, thousands of years ago. But I think, um, I think there is part of that, that we're all, we're all, I mean, most of the fears that people are in recovery are, is that they'll relapse, Mm. that they'll lose everything. That's true. And sometimes that's the thing that keeps people going. Um, I always hope there's more than that, but, um, like we say, a day clean is a day one. It's not always pretty. Right. And, and, and still you're really just, you're, you're talking about specifically food addiction when we're having this conversation. I, I mean, I know it applies to the other, other channels or avenues, yeah, but I mean, we but, work, it's interesting cause we work primarily with sugar addicts. I mean, you're not going to want to be with us if you're not addicted to sugar, but <laughs> we address, we address, um, now why sugar specifically then? Okay. So, we say sugar because food is confusing, I think, to people because mm-hmm. people think like uh, of being addicted to broccoli and boiled cod, as my mentor would say. Like no one really, generally speaking, abuses boiled cod. <laughs> I'm sure someone does. But, you know, it's the point. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. That, but sugar Damn is it, I'm healthy. I am so healthy. Right? Damn it, that but cod is just could, driving me to be so freaking healthy. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So no wonder is your supply in the East Coast. Mm-hmm. You know, I think um, – <laughs> I think that it's important. 
um, that we explain that we, we mean foods to change your state. Got it. So that might be sugar for you. It might be grains for you. It right. could be seed oils for you. Usually it's some sort of combination of all. Got three. it. Okay. Um, like most um, processed foods will change, um, you know, your biochemistry. Even in short term, long term, right, biochemistry. Right. Yeah. And probably through so, insulin spikes. That's Is that why what we say sugar? Because we're getting an insulin well, spike? I think I think when you look at it, um, insulin and dopamine probably in blood sugar are probably following a pretty similar Got it. pathway. I mean, they're probably not direct, like they're not one for one ratio wise, but right. yes, um, insulin is a major problem. And why aren't doctors checking it? Right. If they know that every metabolic illness is, is correlates with an elevated insulin level, does that make any sense? No, right. but I, I think it's such a wide, widespread misinformation and problem both. Right. I mean, if you look around us, you know, you walk into any convenience like if store, I you walk my into any... to check my insulin. Yeah. What well, he would laugh. He'd be like, why? <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah, I think there's just so much, I wouldn't even say misinformation. I just think, I, I think we just, ignorance. I mean, I think there's just so much ignorance, not necessarily anyone's fault other than, you know, sure. we, we, we created this machine and this machine was meant to, or I don't know what the machine was meant. We created this machine as a, as a society, as a, as a species. And now we have this machine and we're starting to understand what we built. And now we're like, wait a second, we built something that's actually, we thought maybe in the beginning, we thought this was a good thing because it cured hunger or solved for hunger. And, and in essence, we we're, we're actually killing people even faster um, because we're right. getting them addicted to things that cause inflammation in the body that cause, you know, uh, issues with neurotoxicity in our heads. Right. I mean, sure. Sugar's a neurotoxin from everything I understand from my neurologist sure. friends that it's actually when we're taking in sugar, we're actually poisoning our own brains um, and, you know, and hurting right. the synapses and we don't have clear thought. And when you look at Alzheimer's, I'm in the senior care space as well. And when you look at Alzheimer's, a lot of it has to do with mm. these very same things. In fact, I was on a call um, last week um, with a lady and we're talking about doing a joint venture. She, she was on the podcast, um, Dr. Uh, Heather Sanderson. And a lot of Alzheimer's is tied to this exact same thing, inflammation in the body, right? And specifically yeah, in the brain, right? Yeah. And so these, these addictions to sugar... And when you say sugar, we're not talking about just the white powdery stuff that comes out of the bag at the store, right? We're talking about things right. that create sugar, blood, high blood sugar right. in the body, right? So, right, right, exactly. Pro, to your point, sugar processed the foods. Result. Yeah, yeah, sugar is the right. end result. Right? Yeah. So it's not that, yeah. I mean, if I'm eating a, a cheeseburger, that might not seem bad, but the bun that the, that's on that cheeseburger, right, is turning straight into sugar in my system or insulin. Right, it's in your system, right, exactly, or... Um, or the seed oil that they're using right. in the sauce or yeah, right. they're all cause inflammation. I think you're right about it. I worked in a nursing home for uh -huh. two years yeah. and, um, as a dietitian, which is complete opposite of what I do now, right? <laughs> they literally use sugar to dope up their patients and oh keep them gosh. doped out. Like, oh my gosh. Like I, I would, I wouldn't say that they deliberately do that, but right? but I, it's, I can see it. Yeah. They're like, well, he's acting up. Let's get him an ice cream cone, right. you know? So, um, because they think they, that they're right, they do yeah, helping with his blood with, sugars. Right, right. And so, to me, they're exacerbating the problem. Right. As opposed to, you know, addressing it. Right. And so but then... It's when, a paradigm. 
And so, so people coming uh, and that you're that you work with that are your clients are typically sugar addicted. Is kind of how you're defining. Yes, that. and the way I would look at it is we we have something we believe in called addiction interaction disorder. Okay. And so what that means is one disease, many outlets. So you'll hear a lot of alcoholics or drug addicts come into our space and they'll be like, "I was I was addicted to drugs and I became addicted to sugar." Mm-hmm. And we say that's not likely. Hmm. It's likely that you were addicted to sugar, you became addicted to drugs, stopped using sugar, and then put down the drugs and returned to your primary addiction, which was likely food. Because the age of onset was probably young. Babies at like three or four weeks. Wow. Um, Other kids who are breastfed, maybe, I mean, look at a cake smashing at the first birthday. Right. Usually that's not... Usually that's not the first introduction of sugar either. So um, it's just mainstream in our food supply. So I think we have to look at that. And if you look at the culture around alcohol and drug treatment, um, it's become one of – I've done – I've done outreach at treatment centers and Mm -hmm. things like that. And you're you're, you're in a room and there's four offending – you're trying to keep these people's attention on recovery and there's four vending machines behind them and it's filled with chips and candy and soda and all that. So it's like – Welcome to the school system. There are even some references in the the initial 12-step recovery movement that um, elicited to basically say, well, like if you have a craving for alcohol, have sugar. Oh. Um, So – not so helpful now, right. especially my, my clientele. But right. I think that um, so we look at it like I could, I could get an effect um, from a number of a milieu of things, mm-hmm. and they would like I could um, get a rush from from gambling. I could mm-hmm. get it from sex. I could get it from a Twinkie. I could get it from some alcohol. I mean, I could get it from getting involved in an unhealthy relationship with someone. I could get it by being a compulsive helper. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so those are all the outlets. So, but we need to view it like we're treating one disease mm-hmm. because once you put the sugar down, guess what? Another thing's going to pop up. Right. That's the reality. So the most of the work that we actually do isn't about the food. Right. And you hear us when we run events, it's just not about the food. And people are like, what are you talking about? That's why I'm here. Right. It's not the food. Like I was saying before, the food is the solution. Right. It's not the problem. It's just the solution stopped working. Mm. And so then do you have systems or, or the part of the program that really deals then with the underlying dis-ease in the system? This is the, yeah, I mean, that's the program, right? right. The program is that, yeah, so I think that's about- a good, good way of putting it. It's, it, it's funny it, in, um, in our recovery accelerator program, I don't think we talk about food once. Oh, is that right? I mean, yeah. I mean, we, because they have the, they have the baseline community access in the group. So right. they're getting, you know, the real talk about it. Mm-hmm. in it and through the to we run challenges to kind of bring people in and mm-hmm. um to find the right people because it's funny because we we shoot hard on day one mm-hmm. and you see a drop off on day two people are like uh-uh, i'm not ready <laughs> um and we do it on purpose right it's, we don't want the wrong people in there we want the we want our people so um but yeah so we just like um we use things like acceptance mm-hmm. um as a tool, uh, we use things like um, creating rituals as opposed to like 
routines or mm-hmm. checklists, you know, getting people so that they're actually deriving meaning out of the hard things that they're doing on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Like if your morning routine doesn't feed your soul, what are you doing? Right. You know, it should, it should, it should be me. It so meaningful that you actually want to do it. Right. Um, so I think teaching people these things, um, we, uh, risk, we call them risky situations, which is like what we were talking about when we talked about the cues, risky mm-hmm. situation is like, well, I'm going to my in-laws and God, they have junk on the counters everywhere. Like that's a risky right. situation. And then we teach people how to identify their own warning signs, which is along the lines of, I know my recovery is in trouble when, so that then they can have an individualized action plan based on their specific trigger. Um, so a lot of these things all end up tying together to create, to get people to where they want to be, which is, well, like living the life that they want to live. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the food got them to do the work, but it's not the real work. The real work is, it's like Brendan Burchard said, it's the work that makes the work work. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, it's the real, um, and it's not about, <clears throat> I can't have sugar anymore. Right. It's about, I have to totally change the way I live and my mindset and I have to learn to tolerate things that I wasn't ever going to mm-hmm. thought that I would be able to tolerate its life. Right. Um, I think it's just through the lens of recovery. Got it. And I would almost look, I mean, as you're, as you're saying that it, it's uh, for me, it's like emotional intelligence or the ability to deal with the what is and in the now versus compartmentalizing it and pushing it down and, then it manifests. I mean, a lot of times we have, you know, all of the, I think every guest we have on has just an amazing story and doing amazing work in the world. And the one common kind of theme that, that strings through that is, you know, you, you, you got to do the work. There's no way around it. There's, you know, you got to do the work. It's emotional work. It's spiritual work, whatever you, it's soft work, right? It's not the checking the boxes. It's the looking inside and seeing what you're afraid of, right? It's, it's looking in the shadows of your soul and saying, okay, I'm really afraid of that. And I don't have the emotional tools to deal with it. So either I'm going to go get the emotional tools to deal with it, or I'm always going to not be dealing with it, which is out still dealing with it. Right. Which is, is the addictions. Right. Choose your heart. Right. 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 right, Exactly. And it's it's like, do you want to, I, I spent several months in India off and on and part of what they would talk about over there, the gurus and the sages and all that fun stuff that they call them, you know, was um, what do you do if a tiger's chasing you? And it was kind of like, you know, it's not, and so in, your first probably instinct is like run like hell, right? Or or lay down on the ground, or it was like let the tiger eat you, right? So you got to like deal with the fear that's there and and experience right. it fully. Let it consume you in a safe and you know in a safe space that's with I would say with somebody who can guide you through that. Um, but until you can truly see what the fear is and experience it, it's always going to be chasing, and you're always going to be running to some degree, which is the right. which yeah, is there's no stability. Yeah, which is the code, and and then we're in the running. It's is, you know, the addictions come from the, you know, not wanting to address things, which we all have to address, right? This is that's part of the human experience. If we didn't have those things, it right. wouldn't be the human experience. We we might as well not be here. <laughs> right, right, yeah. We say um, it's like a crack in the boat. The water's going to find its way in. You know right. what I mean? It's it's not a, and that's why I say it's not about sugar. You know. Right. Um, or food right. or sex or whatever. Right. I mean, right. like <laughs> your body, your mind will manufacture. I have a friend, Billy, mm-hmm. and when he was, he, he was a drug addict. And when he's in Vietnam, he smoked ping pong balls. I mean, like 
he melted them down into oh a pipe God. to change the way that he felt. Right. So, you know, it, whatever yeah. it takes right. so that we can, right. Not escape the t- tiger for a second. Right. right. Um, yeah. But it's still, it's still waiting there. <laughs> right. Hungry. So, hungry. Yes. And so it, it sounds like a, a big part of your program in, in the analogy I just made is allowing people to actually experience their tiger, experience their fears, but in a setting that's safe and setting that's supportive. Absolutely. And people, it's like one of those things where people would be in a circle or wherever, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I guess on zoom, it's not, it's more of a square, but right. the point is that there are things that they would never say. Right never ever say out loud right but they'll hear someone else say it right and they'll like be smiling and nodding and they'll be like oh yeah 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 and you can tell you see that you're like they're like they change in front of you even on the screen right um but i think we don't even do one-on-one work really like we don't yep yeah we do we do one-on-one calls to kind of get a sense of where people are at so that we can say you know this is an option for you or this is a terrible option for you why right. don't you try this right. um and and we do these sugar evaluations which take people through the diagnostic criteria for sugar addiction right through the diagnostic statistical manual like so sugar addiction food addiction isn't actually in the diag- the dsm like mm-hmm. it's not a psychological illness according to the people that write the DSM. Um, so, which is a problem. Right. And we're working on that. And in the food addiction Institute is an organization, a nonprofit that's really working to get more awareness and get this into, into a place where it's, it can be treatable. Right. Um, and, um, and then same thing with the ICD 10, which is the international coding system. It doesn't uh-huh. exist. Yep. So we've used drug and alcohol related criteria, but we've, we flip it a little bit. So we do that one-on-one. We'll take someone through a process mm-hmm. and it basically maps out the symptoms that they've acquired over the course of their life on a line. Right. And so it shows you like, oh my God, what? why did I get five symptoms when I was six? Oh yeah, my oh, parents got divorced. Interesting. Oh, yeah. oh, what happened when I was 18? Oh, I got a license, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So, and then, oh, I moved three times and then the disease progresses. But then you also see these flat lines mm-hmm. on the map where people aren't picking up any symptoms for like, up to 20, 25, 30 years. Hmm. And I'm like, what's going on? Oh, uh, well, I was yo-yo dining. I picked up cigarettes. I was gambling. And so <laughs> right. you start seeing the other seats that you see, you see that you're rearranging deck chairs on a Titanic. Right. You know, you're like, you're switching outlets. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the thing. But you can see it. Right. on the map Interesting. because you're like, wow, I was introduced to alcohol and then I was really bad for the next five years. And then, they put down the alcohol and then they pick, pick up, up something, something else. else. Could be a behavior. Right. So um, that's addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not the substance. It's the disease. Right. Well, very cool. So how do people learn more about this and, and the work you're doing? Uh, where do they go? How do they stay in touch or at least explore? Yeah, it? Cause sure. you mentioned so, a, um, a recovery accelerator that you guys have. And so we're, yeah. What, what would be the best? Yeah, so websites? I think the best thing to do is um, if you go to sugarxglobal.com, you have the opportunity to download our, um, our checklist, oh, okay. um, which I think is a really powerful, what we basically did is we took everything we thought you needed and we just put it in an ebook. Okay. Um, and there's a good, there's some really good action steps that you can start doing right now mm-hmm. um, to kind of start quieting your beast a little bit. Got it. Um, and it, it will give you the opportunity to speak with one of us, myself, Anna or Judy. Oh, nice. Um, and then we run these five day challenges as well. Um, I we have one coming up this summer. Mm-hmm. So kind of be on the lookout for that as well. I think that gives you the opportunity to kind of get our flavor, 
Because we're it. not everyone's cup of tea. Right. Um, we know that. Right. <laughs> you know, so I'm sure there are people that can't stand me. <laughs> no, that can't be true. So it's sugarxglobal.com, and we'll put it in the show yeah. show notes as well. But, oh, super, thanks. But that's where you go to learn more about what you're doing and, and uh, all things um, food, but really sugar recovery, which I think, honestly, all of us need some form of sugar recovery or sugar detox. I know there's times in my life where I detox completely off uh, sugar and I always feel better. And then somehow I always slide back into it. Just, yeah, what's with that? Yeah. And, and it's not, yeah, exactly. And it's not that it, it it's, if, if you start becoming aware of what is sugar and how it's getting in, it's everywhere. It's like everywhere. Yeah, it it's, it's like everywhere. It's like any little thing you're like, Oh no, this doesn't. And then you're like, Holy shit, that's got sugar. How did, why, why yeah, even like, put it um, in? Why, why put sugar in ketchup? Because I have sugar-free like ketchup. Seasoning. Yeah, like yeah. Seasoning. Yeah, yeah. It's like yeah. But or um. There, there's things that sugar. Lemon pepper. Lemon pepper has sugar, sugar in, in it. it. Yeah, it's like. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. Why did they just have a surplus that day? Salt. <laughs> yeah, has sugar. Salt. I, no, I haven't seen that one yet. Yeah, I think it's has either dextrose or maltodextrin. In oh it. wow, yeah. that's crazy. I think it's dextrose. Table wow. salt. Table salt. Yeah. Wow. So, so they slide yeah. it and slip. When I say they, it I shouldn't say they. They're sneaky. It, it, it's in everything. <laughs> Once you start looking, it's in everything, and that makes it even harder. But I think that the nice thing is, in today's world, there are more and more choices more now than ever. I remember, you know, fifteen, twenty years ago when I started kind of getting into the health and really diet and what sure. am I eating and what am I consuming? You know, back then you go to a restaurant or the grocery store and there was not a lot of choices. Right. And now there's tons of choice. I mean, it, there's just tons yeah, maybe of too many. Yeah. Right. Right. There's tons of choices out there of, of, you know, we, we, at my house, we have, you know, chocolate that's sweetened with stevia instead of sugar. Right. And that way we don't get the insulin sure, spikes sure. and same thing when we're cooking, we don't, you know, we use stuff that's not, uh, that's not specifically got sugar in it, but still tastes good. Like bananas. I'll use bananas in a recipe instead of um, sugar or something like that. So at least we're getting the fiber with it and we're getting some. And sure. And there are some people that wouldn't even be able to handle that. Right. Wow. That's like me. Yeah. Is that right? Like a banana? Yeah. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I fruit and doesn't work. Really? That triggers it. Yeah. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, yeah, lots of things. Some people are very sensitive around cheeses, huh. um, different cheeses, uh-huh. um, milk. Right. Um, I can see the milk. Yeah. Coffee, and decaf, non-decaf, doesn't matter. Huh. Um, cocoa is interesting. You mentioned cocoa because yeah. it has anandamide in it, which huh. crosses the blood-brain barrier. Huh. So, um, yeah, get, get a little like, something I don't think I could do chocolate. I mean, even, I mean, even if it was like, even if it was like ninety-five percent, uh-huh. I would still like, I would find a way. <laughs> Yeah, I would find a way. Oh my goodness, that's interesting. You know? Well, yeah, we yeah. need to we need to dive deeper into that on our next conversation. The, um, well, thank I, thanks so much. We'll put it, the stuff in the show notes. Also, thank you. I know you're going to be a speaker at our Happiness Summit coming up here. Yeah, my uh, pleasure. Here, here soon. And if you're listening to the podcast after that, then you know certainly go out and see other things we're doing. We'll have uh, future summits and talks coming up in our platform. So we'd love. Uh, you know, you to be a part of those conversations, those live conversations yeah, we're super. having around this. Cause 
ultimately, I think, you know, for people who want to improve their lives, that you need to be in community with other people who want to improve their lives, right? I mean, to right. your, I mean, it's, your point about yeah. kind of addiction, where I think you get to the point where you realize that, you know, there's a growing community out there of people who want to live a better, more vibrant, more healthy life. And once you start getting around those people, it is contagious and you do want those things and you see the benefits. Like I love having people on the podcast because it's like I get to see the benefits of people's work that has happened over 20 or 30 years or five or whatever the number is. But I'm like, wow, that's super cool to see the results, not just, you know, the testimonies coming from the people who are researching and they're their own guinea pigs. I love that because, you know, it's like, okay, they know it works because they're actually doing it, not something they're just selling. Right, right. I mean, you know, we tell people like this isn't hoopla, like we're basing everything we do on neuroscience. You know, it's not like, um, you know, I'm asking your practices because it sounds like a good idea. Right, (laughs) right. There's a reason behind everything. And the other thing we say, which is right in line, is connection is the best protection. We really believe that. And when you start telling, like we call it red dog, when the disease starts talking to you and giving you Mm -hmm. all these stupid ideas. Right. um, You got to tell on red. Right. And you got to tell on someone that understands the ideas, the old Native American. I think it's driven from Native American story where this grand, the grandfather's telling his grandson about the two wolves yep. within, with inside him. Yep. And, and the grandson's like, which one wins? And he says, well, the one, one you choose feed. to feed. Right. The one you so feed. So we, yeah. we, in Sweden, our mentors from Sweden, there's a red dog, which is the bad wolf, and uh, blue dog, which is the good uh. wolf. So we talk, say, tell on red, right. tell on the red dog. Huh. So that's sort of our language for the disease. But yeah, well, you got to find someone who will listen to you when you need to, you know, spill your beans about right. what's really going on inside your head. Exactly. So I think it's so important. I so, do too. I agree. Yeah. Well, thank you. It was such an enlightening conversation today. And again, we'd love to have more conversations with you as things progress. So uh, David Wolf, thank you for coming on. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for being a part of the Bright Vibe podcast. For more information, go to brightvibe.com. That's B-R-I-T-E, vibe, V-I-B-E.com. Thank you for listening.